Hello, everybody. It is 602. <clears throat> I'm going to do roll call. Lobia Mallon, present. Richard Harvey Jr., present. Uh, Serena Clayton, present. B. Franks Walker, present. Tammy Rosell, present. Mark Smith will be late, and Derek Turner will be late. We have a corn. Thank you. Good. Well, it's nice to see everyone after our um, break. <laughs> Hope everyone's doing well. Um, I pulled up a study that, well, actually, I get I get email from the National Healthcare um, for the Homeless Council, and um, they partnered a study with JAMA, the journal, uh, it actually was published in JAMA, uh, Journal of uh, American Medical Association, and it had to do with homelessness and um, what they're perceiving as um, things that we're doing, policies and things that we're doing so very wrong. And I wanted just to share a little bit of it with you. I won't read the whole thing. Um, Dr. Francis will be going into another study later on that UCSF did, but this one was, um, I thought it was interesting because it was big enough to where they published it in JAMA. So that was, I thought that meant something <coughs> you know, pretty significant. So it says, we've seen a national trend of increased unsheltered homelessness. This study indicates that encampment sweeps are the wrong approach to the crisis. We must provide street medicine, medical outreach, substance use treatment, and harm reduction services, as well as a focus on addressing the heart of the issue. These individuals need housing, not ongoing displacement. Too many individuals are losing their lives due to bad policy. And um, I know that you see on the news, like in San Jose recently, there was a huge encampment sweep that just dislocated a whole bunch of people, you know, and, and, and you have, you have uh, people in the community saying, we need to get them out of here. It's not sanitary. It's not safe. You know, there's drug use going on, blah, 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 blah. There's a million reasons why they shouldn't be here. And so they put pressure on the city government, and the city government reacts by doing these sweeps. But it, what it's doing is it's just sending them to another location and, and causing them more harm than good as you can see. And, you know, last year at the Homeless Health Conference, the theme was um, home, home is healthcare. You know, having a home is healthcare. And I think that we all agree with that. We talk about that a lot here too on the board, that um, our bridge clinic does harm reduction and, you know, we have Narcam in the emergency room now. And, you know, we're doing a lot, I think, here um, to, to help the problem but there is still much more needed to be done. So um, just something to think about, you know, as you hear about these encampment sweeps, I, I really disagree with them. I understand why people don't want the homeless there. I understand. However, we have to find a better solution, you know, because most of them, if you ask them where they'd rather be, they'd say in a house, in a room, you know, anywhere but where they are. Anyway, okay, we have um, 
we want to approve our minutes from um, June 13th. That was our last meeting. Can I get a motion for approval? I move to approve the minutes from June 13th. Second. Thank you. I will call your name for the vote and please state yes or no. Loretta Mallon? Yes. Richard Harvey Jr.? Yes. Serena Clayton? Well, I wasn't here, so I was Oh, okay. B. Franks Walker? Yes. Tammy Wilson? Yes. Mark Smith? Yes. The motion passed. <coughs> Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, item C is our medical director report. Dr. Francis has some interesting things to share with us. So, I think you um, just referenced the study that I wanted to go over in the medical director report, um, which is a statewide study of homelessness in California that has been um, receiving attention in the media lately. So, some of you may have, may have heard about it, but I just thought it would be good to kind of relate it to our situation here. Um, and so I'll just review it quickly and then, you know, answer any questions and, um, and have a brief discussion about it if you'd like. Uh, so it's called the California Statewide Study of People Experiencing Homelessness. And um, it's uh, a study that was done um, across the entire state in a way that tried to sample the population of people experiencing homelessness um, so that the sample was representative of people experiencing homelessness across the state of California. So it included, you know, sites and people in Alameda County and across the state. Um, many of the findings in the, in the study are, you know, parallel to findings that we've already seen in studies we've done here of homelessness in Alameda County. So things like the fact that the homeless population is aging and minoritized groups are overrepresented. We know that's true at Alameda County. We've seen that from our homeless counts pretty consistently. Um, participants reported high lifetime rates of mental health and substance use challenges. That's something we've also you know, seen in our own um, homeless counts and studies here. Nearly all participants expressed an interest in obtaining housing. You know, you just talked about this, Loretta. I think 90, 90 plus percent of folks said they would take a keto apartment. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, we sometimes still hear, like, people want to be homeless or people prefer homelessness. But um, when you actually ask people experiencing homelessness, that's not true. That's not been true here in Alameda County either. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, participants had high rates of acute and emergent health service utilization. So we know that also from, you know, plenty of data going back years in Alameda County, um, you know, particularly a lot of studies done in Highland. But I thought there were some, some findings that we haven't really investigated in detail here that were also really interesting from this study. Um, so, you know, if you would have asked me, I would have said, yeah, there's high rates of um, physical and sexual violence among people experiencing homelessness. And yet some of these rates are still even higher than I would have expected. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think lifetime experience of sexual violence, um, you know, in the 87 or sorry, 74% range for transgender, um, binary, not gender nonconforming uh, people experiencing homelessness is just, you know, that's most people, right, um, experiencing sexual violence. Um, and for cisgender women, 43% of cisgender women experiencing sexual violence in their lifetime who are homeless. Um, and of course, physical violence, you know, we're up above 70% for all categories of people. So just the, you know, when you're taking care of patients, it's obvious the centrality of violence to people's lives who are experiencing homelessness. But I think to see it actually 
documented in a study, you know, that's with this, with this depth and rigor, um, I think, you know, for me, it's just an additional call to, um, to think of the, you know, the more human responses to this, right? I mean, I think um, this, if, if we looked at the outcome of moving people with regard to victimization of violence and added that to mortality and hospitalizations, um, in the study that you talked about, for example, what else would we see as like oh, yeah. additional, you know, ways that that um, horrible outcomes arise from people oh, being yeah. homeless or people being involuntarily displaced within their homelessness? Um, so I just I, I thought that was a really interesting um, question to have asked and thing to highlight. Um, nearly one third of participants had a health related reason for losing their housing. So this is something that uh, we also haven't looked at in a lot of detail in Alameda County. And it's not to say that um, that was the only reason. Often health reasons combined with an economic reason or a social reason. One of the cool things about this study is there are a number of case studies that kind of illustrate the details of how people become homeless. Um, and so often the health related reason is um, something that happened to a household member. So I've had uh, patients, for example, who've lost a parent um, or a grandparent who was an owner of a house or who um, was a recipient of benefits that then, you know, because of that death, that led to, you know, that led to homelessness for, for people in the household or people who have their own health emergency can no longer work um, is, uh, is another, uh, another reason that, um, a lot of folks, um, health related reasons that a lot of folks lose housing. So, you know, we're in a position providing healthcare to see folks who are not yet homeless, mm -hmm. who are undergoing health crises that may lead to homelessness. And I think this is an underexplored area of opportunity in healthcare, um, that sometimes, you know, we say housing is health, but sometimes Healthcare is housing too, right? Oh, absolutely. If we can provide the right kind of care and supports for folks, maybe we can keep more, more people in their homes. Yeah. Um, and then um, just, you know, another thing that we haven't investigated um, in detail in Alameda County, at least to my knowledge before, a quarter of young women, so women between, um, you know, uh, 18 and 44, um, reported being pregnant while homeless. And in the 18 to 24 category, it's 40% of people pregnant while homeless. So, you know, just another really, really stark reminder on the multiple impacts of homelessness, the, the way this kind of touches everything about um, the lives of people experiencing homelessness and, and all of our lives, right? This is the next generation of children, um, some of whom are being born to, to mothers who don't have a home. Um, so the, um, the report puts together a number of policy recommendations. These are the key recommendations and Heather, you can go ahead and go to the next slide. And I just highlighted those that really align with um, what we've already advocated for as a board. Um, so number one is increase access to housing affordable to extremely low income households. Obviously we're, we're probably in support of all of these, but the ones that I've highlighted are the ones we're explicitly in support of already. Um, number two is expand targeted homelessness prevention. Number three is to provide robust supports to match the behavioral health needs of the population. Number four, increase household incomes through evidence-based employment supports. Number five, increase outreach and service delivery to people experiencing homelessness. And number six, embed a racial equity approach in all aspects of homeless system service delivery. Um, and I just wanted to, I just wanted to outline this to show you know, the 
increasing profile of this issue across the state and the fact that I think we're developing larger and larger groups of allies around the state who are acknowledging that we need to do something different and beyond that are really pointing the way and starting to organize around policy solutions, service solutions, um, and, and that we need to think you know, a lot about how we're combining with sort of other folks in our own community and across the state in addressing this, this issue. Um, the final quote I put in was from the press release for this. It's from the Secretary of the California Health and Human Services Agency. He says, as we drive toward addressing the health and housing needs of Californians experiencing homelessness, this study reinforces the importance of comprehensive and integrated supports. California is taking bold steps to address unmet needs for physical and behavioral health services to create a range of housing options that are safe and stable and to meet people where they're at. And I think those are two concepts that are really embedded in um, the first element of our strategic plan, meeting people where they're at, right? And the third element of our strategic plan, this idea of comprehensive and integrated supports. In our case, I think we emphasize primary care and housing as the places where we need to follow up with folks. And I just want to underscore that, you know, from the secretary's perspective, California is taking bold steps to address unmet needs for physical and behavioral health services. And yet here at Alameda Health System, you know, the presentation I gave to the Board of Trustees in May, we had a flat budget for our homeless health center um, in spite of massive increases in the number numbers of people experiencing homelessness. And I don't know that we're taking advantage of these policy changes at the state level to ourselves take bold steps, right? So I think that this is a call to us to say, California is taking bold steps. People are experiencing rates of violence. People are experiencing pregnancy on the streets. People are experiencing horrible physical and mental health challenges. And our, what we continue to offer is care in the emergency room and hospital. That's what we predominantly continue to offer in our system that we are all responsible for overseeing. So to me, this report and this statement by the, the, um, by the secretary is really a call for us to say, are we taking bold steps? And can we take bolder steps? Because that's what this moment calls for, right? Mm -hmm. I think that that's why it's so important to be aware of what your city government is doing, you know, and, and what funds they're putting toward uh, homeless prevention or uh, low-income housing or whatever, you know, because um, if you don't and you don't say anything, you, we as, as individuals can, can go to these meetings, we can go on Zoom on, on these meetings, and we can say why we think this should be or shouldn't be and have evidence to back it up. So I know personally, I've been <coughs> trying to be more involved in in city government, because I think that's very important. Um, I know with this encampment uh, study that the Homeless uh, Coalition did, it says if we don't stop doing these sweeps, you know, not just California, but you know, all over, right? There's going to be a 151% increase in overdose mortality. 151%, can you imagine? 11% reduction in life expectancy. Their life is already shortened, you know, for various reasons. And now if we're moving them from space to space to space, you know, 
They're not getting to. They're not getting the medical treatment they need. They're not getting the the opiate, um, uh, you know, medication that they need to get off of opiates or whatever it is, you know, because they're too busy just trying to keep something over their head, a tent over their head. Um, there'll be fifty cent increase in hospitalizations and six percent increase in serious injection related infections. Injection related infections. Uh, and death, of course. 38% decrease in medication for opiate use disorder. Because if, you know, if a person is coming, for example, to the Bridge Clinic to get uh, buprenorphine patches or shots or whatever they're getting for their treatment here, and all of a sudden they, have, they can't make their appointment because everything they own is in this five-by-seven tent, and uh, some bulldozer wants to come and just take and you know, scoop it up and throw it away, you know, they have to choose, they have to make a choice. So just imagine being in that position, you know, it's, it's, it'll take you back a few steps for sure, you know. Anyway. I have a question, um, because you're saying to like, address the city, and so in the face of that, you seem so powerless against the city. Um, what would you, I mean, what, what should be done to be an advocate? Well, I'll give you an example. When, um, for, I live in San Leandro. So when San Leandro, uh, they had a, a city council meeting, and the public is always welcome like they are here. And I participated via Zoom. And the uh, agenda item I, was, I wanted to um, comment on was ending the moratorium on the rental. Um, you know, relief. And um, there are all these people there. These are mom and pop owners that own maybe, you know, a fourplex or, and, and they're saying, you know, we just can't, we can't make our payments if we don't get money. Okay, so they were presenting their case. And then there was a whole other group of people, which I was on that side, saying, yes, I understand where these people are coming from. And yes, they are entitled to their money. However, you can't just throw people out on the street, you know, and there has to be a better solution. Something, I don't know what that solution is, but it, it's not throwing them out on the street. And, you know, the, the city council listens to the public. The mayors listen. You know, we have a new mayor in San Leandro. I'm very impressed so far with what he's done. Um, but just, you know, Pull up the agenda, see what they're going to be talking about. Different committees meet at different times on different days. The city council meets once a month, and um, you'd be surprised. And if you do want to speak, you can, you know. You just put your minutes in that you want to speak. So they listen. They do. And the more you tell, you know, your friends, and your friends tell their friends, you know what I'm saying? There is power in, in, in people, you know. We get a number, but if you sit back and do nothing and never inquire, which I was guilty of, I, and I, I know I can do more, and that's my own personal goal, you know, um, you can make a difference, I believe. I think it's powerful when this group, um, this region, please, um, you know, on the basis of health in particular, um, you know, aligns your voice with that, you know, the idea that this city policy, whatever it may be, has these health impacts, you know, given, given the work that we do together with the health system. 
Um, when you were talking about these recommendations for the study, you referenced that some of them were similar to what's in our strategic plan. What's that strategic plan? The strategic plan was passed in uh, January of 2022. For the Homeless for Health, the homeless health Center. Center. Yeah. Okay. I just scanned my stuff. I don't think I have. Can you send it to me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's in the um, uh, it's in the January um, uh, agenda and you know links and attachments. So all uh, everything we approved here, January twenty twenty two. Twenty two. Yeah. <laughs> so we can we can send it to you. Yeah, it's they're all available online. I don't know if you know how to get to the um, to the links online. So we can also do that. But we have you know we had a. a Four-month process, five-month process that used this meeting um, included um, a retreat where we looked at data and um, you know program reports and things that we'd seen from people around Alameda Health System and um, did some theming around what jumped out to us and some explanation of what was important to us and then honed that down into three key priority areas, um, which um, you know roughly fell into, I won't get the exact language right, but really expanding our ability to see people, meet people where they're at, see people in places that are easy for them to get to, and where we're already seeing folks in those kinds of settings to expand the scope of those settings. So that's things like the mobile health van, the bridge clinic, urgent care, um, and trying, you know, our real goal is really to make sure that we can do a broad scope service like primary care and then drop in an accessible way, which we really don't have in our system right um, I'll go to the third area, which was um, the theme that sort of led to that area was follow-up, um, and in particular, connecting follow-up to primary care and to housing. So when we see people, it shouldn't be like every time we're seeing them is the first time, <laughs> and we don't know, you know, we should, we should know where are you on your plan to have a regular doctor, and how can we help you advance that plan, and where are you on your plan for housing, and how can we help you advance that plan. Um, so it's really this idea that we should be following up and in particular on, on those two areas. Um, that was aspirational at the time of adoption. And I think um, there are a couple things that have happened since in an opportunistic way that are connected to that. But, you know, we can go over those in the strategic plan update later. Um, and then uh, the second area was really added, you know, proposed by staff on the basis of the other two areas, which is we need to be financially sustainable, we need to understand what finances can support these things. And we've had fairly little movement in that er area, um, I think, with the exception really of being able to get the bridge clinic, um, uh, at least through the process of being qualified as an FQHC, we're still not billing for it as an FQHC. Um, and so we're not actually realizing the revenue, but the, the institution has allowed us to expand staffing in that, in, in that area. So we have seen you know, some growth in that area, but I think we'll need to do much more in that area in order to really be able to effectively pursue the other two areas. And so that was that was the case we made and the case that the Co-Applicant Board agreed with of making that the third strategic priority. I know Tammy's new as well, so I, and it, it just bears yeah. repeating for all of us, like yeah, what, what's the process we went through and et cetera. Yeah, uh, so let me just ask two questions. I yeah. have so many questions, but um, is there a regular like strategic plan update schedule? We had been giving it on a quarterly basis, um, and I think we've, we're probably five or six months since the last one, um, mostly based on our schedules and the summertime and things like that that happened. So 
Um, I think we're making room now for more of the finance updates and, you know, we're, we're into the fiscal year without a budget, um, again, as the homeless health center. Um, so, you know, fiscal year started July one, um, we will first see a budget in this meeting in September for the homeless health center. So we've been, we've been stepping, we've been stepping back away from, you know, updating you on the same minor kind of things that we're doing. Um, I think in part because of that as well. So both our schedule, you know, and the, and the idea that other things deserve more time on the agenda. Okay, so a question about Mary is another question, but the yeah. whole thing about we're not seeing a budget, that just feels like, oh, that somehow feels like our problem. I understand that we don't, as board members, don't really have control over that, but like the budget well, of the thing that we're supposed to be the board of and we don't, we don't have one that feels like a board issue. Yeah, so I think we so, can talk about it in the next agenda item. Yeah, maybe can I ask you one other quick thing on that? You said the bridge clinic's not billing. Is it, so if they do bill, is that revenue going to come back into the homeless health center cost, the homeless health center cost center, or does it go to Alameda Health System or like ambulatory? Correct. I think that's also a, a question for the next segment. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. But most FQHC funds come back to ambulatory, correct? Well, the way we don't, managers in our system do not manage revenue, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, you know, we have cost centers and we can hire staff and then we manage toward volume targets mm -hmm. um, for sure. Um, and, and the revenue determines in, in part, uh, what those volume targets are is the best way I can explain it. But I think, I, I think we're, you know, having conversations at the board level, um, and certainly at the executive level about whether the organization is meeting its agreement with us as a co-applicant board, whether the, the board of trustees, um, in terms of how we're able to govern the finances. And I think that's part of the delay of being able to be presented a, a, a budget is that the accounting systems haven't necessarily been set up to do that for us. Um, I have a question. I, I remember when we agreed on a budget some time ago, um, but I don't remember the way in which it was presented to us. Um, so <clears throat> forgive me if I don't have any facts correct, but if I recall the budget that was presented last time did have kind of itemization of basically where some of the money would go uh, within the system. Uh, I'm wondering if that's still true. Uh, that's number one. Uh, number two, um, what powers do we have in terms of, instead of just rubber stamping it, do we have any control of nitpicking some of the, some of the money going to certain areas which we may deem uh, are not necessary or don't need as much funding uh, so we can put so we can take funds and put it in a, in a place that we think has more needs yeah so uh i'll just try to respond briefly because i don't think this is exactly part of what's coming up in the finance report uh I'll, the first one maybe maybe we'll be able to get into in more detail with the finance report in front of us. so maybe i'll table the first one the second one is we have the right to approve the budget and if we don't approve the budget then we're operating, you know, if we don't approve it for an extended period of time out of compliance with HRSA statute, we're required as the governing board to approve the budget. So for, if we don't have a budget, we don't meet HRSA statute and that 
creates serious implications. And that's, that's our right. The format of that is to be specified by you all. And I think we make recommendations as to that format. So we've made recommendations in the past that it serves the interests of people experiencing homelessness best to accept some of the formats that we've received, right? Because we don't think it's worth, you know, getting into more detail. That's the staff recommendation we've given. You don't have to accept our recommendation around the formats for the budget, right? right? And I think we've, over time though, we've asked, we've asked our finance team for things that are better and better suited to your ability to actually oversee how money is being spent in the system. And, um, and so it's up to you all as a co-advocate board to decide if we're moving fast enough towards the formats that you all want to see that makes sense, right? And the trade-off is if you say, well, we want it perfect, right? Then, then, we create, then we create challenges that need to be managed. And the question is, is it worth managing those things? You know, does that ultimately help the people that we're responsible for helping here? And that's, that's a decision that's really you know, for you all to make and for us to analyze on your behalf and present to you recommendations around that for sure, but really up to, up to you all to, to make that decision. Okay, I was just, just just thinking about what it might be like for this next budget vote coming up. Uh, but like you said, I believe you said um, we won't have to vote until September. Is that right? You won't see it until September. And the request from um, you know from uh, Loretta and Richard, who've been helping us plan the agendas, is that we actually have at least another month to to think about it. Right? We don't have to vote on it the first time we see it. Uh, okay. So um, right now the plan would be to bring it back for a vote in October, um, assuming that we see something that you know close enough, closely enough matches the format that you all that you know you all think is valuable, and we can make a recommendation to you all about what you should do with it. All right. So between um, now and say the end of September, uh, we can um, even if we're not meeting like we are now, uh, that we can I can pass on to you or. Or anyone else um, here, or, um, or Loretta, um, suggestions that we might want to see in the budget, or is that, or is the budget right now? It is what it is. Um, I'll say the budget is what it is for the institution overall. That's been passed by the board of trustees. Right. Um, they're in receipt of my presentation in May as to what our priorities are. Right. Um, and so, you know, we can consider that that was the point at which we were getting input on the budget that was approved. Okay. If you make a recommendation for something that's not included, it would have to come out of something else somewhere else in the Alameda Health System budget. Again, that doesn't mean that you have to approve the budget. Right. It's just saying that, you know, you should understand that the fiscal Alameda Health System is operating with a fiscal year budget that's already approved. Right. It's just the homeless health center that's operating without a budget that's been approved by our government. Right. I think we did have a conversation about maybe looking in the future that uh, that, that could change. Oh, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've had many conversations. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, I think after this budget passage, uh, I don't know when exactly, but I think we should bring it up as a body uh, sometime after this initial budget is passed. Well, yeah, it's been brought up. I, I think we'll be bringing it up as as we're deciding whether to pass it. Okay. I, like I said, you the, the fact that it's coming to you at that point in time does not mean you have to pass it 
I don't know what our recommendation, you know, Heather doesn't know what our recommendation is. We haven't seen anything either yet. So, right. you know, your staff may recommend to you not to pass it in the form that we received it in. Um, I, I really can't say that it's coming to you with a recommendation from me to approve it. Yeah. I haven't seen enough yes, information yes. to say that I, that I will want to recommend that to you in my role as the director of the Home Sales Center. The idea of not voting um, for passage of the budget uh, is based on the description you, you made. Basically, um, like for instance, me not voting for the budget at any time would be moved because the fact of the matter is the budget is is what it is and by first the regulations we have to pass the budget um by hersa regulations if we don't pass a budget we're out of compliance with hersa regulations right our financial controls and us spending money doesn't get stopped immediately because of that the likely implications then would be a report to the county who oversees our compliance with HRSA regulations that says we are not in compliance with regulations. Right. And the long-term consequences of remaining out of compliance with regulations uh, financially would be putting at risk the financial benefits of our federally qualified health center status right. or the organization. So okay. that's something that, that Alameda Health System that we that the county that everyone wants to avoid mm -hmm. um, is to put us at risk for that. So, you know, we're not gonna give you a recommendation to, you know, to, to put things at risk for no good reason. Right, and I, like I said, I, I personally would not go, no, uh, given what I know about what, um, how, the, how the budget is, is proposed and managed, so, um, and, and regulations behind it. So I, I personally would not vote no. Um, I'm just, my only thing is just um, thinking about the future in which we could have more say, uh, actual more say, um, and have uh, and have more of our ideas uh, impact, impacted in the budget. Right, well I will say, forward. I think we should close this part of the, the conversation, you know, just because this is the medical director report. But I will say one thing about that, Mark, which is that the board of trustees have invited um, us, the co-applicant board, to join them in their fall retreat, which I think is an opportunity for you to say that directly to oh, I would love members of the board of boards of board of trustees, and for us to really get into the details. And so. Um, uh, Chair Banerjee of the Board of Trustees has been really interested in supporting stronger collaboration with the co-applicant board, has had meetings with Loretta and myself, um, and so it's coming, you know, those opportunities are coming both within and outside of the budget approval process. That would be great. I'd love to do that. Yeah. Yeah, we've been advocating for that for a while. Yeah. So it's coming. And the president, she's very much in favor of that. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, also, too, um, one thing that we do hope to, we hope that happens is that our medical director is more involved in being able to state what we need, you know. And, for example, we have a strategic goal, we have a strategic plan. It's two years now, and, and one more year is left. Right, and we haven't seen any progression toward what I feel is one of the most important things, like this um, 
this says up here, meeting people where they are, being able to see them when they can be seen. And, you know, accessibility. accessibility. And also, too, um, which I, I've given a lot of thought to is, I think that uh, the practitioners and the medical um, assistants that are helping people with homelessness, if they should remind them or help them discover that they do have a lot of benefits to MediCal. Right. Um, such as if they can't get here, they can get a ride. You know, things like this. Right. And most of them have no clue about any of this. You know, so there's some internal stuff too that, there, you know, I know what we're doing. We, we do that, but I, I think it can also be maybe stepped up, stepped up a little bit. Uh, one issue I would bring up, um, just piggybacking on what you just said, is that one of the issues I see from time to time, living in Berkeley, is that uh, uh, some homeless people uh, are made aware of some of the benefits that they're not taking advantage of, but at the same time, some of them are not, I mean, mentally or emotionally, in the, they're not they're not in line with being able to actually do it. Uh, you have to kind of lead them to it and walk them through it, because uh, if you don't, yes, that's true. They won't do it, that's and true. so there there is that. So mm -hmm. I just want to bring that up. That you know that's you can true. lead them, you can get the, you can tell them what to do, um, but it's a matter of getting them to do it also, and that, that that's a hard part too. Because some because some for whatever reason would it be mental or emotional yeah. or substance abuse issues, uh, they'll hear what you're saying, they're taking it all in, and they're all for it, yeah. but they don't know how to navigate it. Mm -hmm. That's a real issue. Yeah. So. so I think just in the interest of closing out, I think we can bring that back to the comprehensive and integrated supports that right. you know the secretary is talking about. Mm -hmm. These are policy changes and funds that are flowing to us at Alameda Health System to provide comprehensive and integrated supports to people like the ones you're talking about, right? How can we get more community health workers, more case managers available to people who aren't gonna be able to access the benefits on their own? And I think it's, it, it's up to us to really dig into understanding that. And a lot of that is gonna be financial. A lot of, that, a lot of understanding that's gonna be understanding what's happening with policy understanding how that's routing through our finances internally. So I'd love to get to Grace's presentation so yes. you guys can ask some questions directly around some of the finances of the organization that I think will help get us there. I'm sorry, I didn't realize somebody was waiting for us. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's the next item. It's the next item. I'm traveling on and on here. It's fine. I think it, it's... I realize somebody was waiting for us. No, it's something we need to discuss and that, you know, there's we need to figure out how to get space in the agenda to discuss it. Uh, and I think it's totally, totally appropriate. So. Okay, anything else before we go on to D? Okay, D is uh, Grace Messina is uh, going to present the financial report to us. Hi, Grace. Can we hear her? Nope, she's on mute, but just give oh, her a second. Okay. She'll <laughs> well, sorry about that. I, I'm sorry. I, um, it's okay. I didn't realize it was an in-person meeting. I missed that in the um, invite. Um, next time I'll be there in person. Sorry about that. That's okay. um, so 
Uh, this is the May financials that we're presenting. And you know what I neglected to send over is an overview of the budget. And I know it's on the agenda. So I do have slides for that. So we can do an overview of the uh, total budget, um, not specifically for F, uh, for, for, for the cap board because I, we don't have that ready yet. Um, next, um, next slide, please. So this is just key facts that we've already talked about. We we mentioned earlier that the Bridge Clinic site is not is in the HRSA scope, but it is not established to be an F, a billable FQAC site yet. I'm not sure where that's at in terms of timeline. Why why is that, Grace? We're working on getting designated as FQHC, so we have to fill out some paperwork and do some rate setting. Um, I'm not sure where we're at at this point um, and who is leading that effort. It, it, it will be more profitable for us, will it not? Definitely. Definitely. So, so that should have a little uh, maybe red sticker on it. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, I, I'm actually, um, you know, hounding people to see where we're at on that um, because it is a big uh, part of um, FQHC. Right. Um, so um, here you will see, and I'm sorry, I don't have this in, an, in a nicer format, but the FTEs is uh, the people that work here, um, whether it's registry or employees. For May, we had 479, our budget was 415, and our variance was 64. So negative is always bad, positive is good. Um, year to date, we are uh, over by 20 FTEs. Um, this is a big part of we are adding FTEs as we see needed. You know, there's a lot of um, uh, standardiz standardizing going on at this point. We're trying to make sure that every doctor is supported at the clinics, you know, with an MA, a PSR. And I think we've added some, we've also added um, uh, specialists. I believe they're called chows, um, you know, in our system to help with um, things that needs to get done in the clinics. So we've added and we've invested FTEs in there. Also, the volume has gone up. So as the volume goes up, as we add providers, we add support, um, support staff as well. Um, next slide, please. Oh, I'm sorry. One more, one more thing. Um, can you go back? Um, so in here, you can see our payer mix, and I'm just going to talk about the year to date. So our payer mix for... Um, for Medi-Cal is 60, 72%. It's an increase of, um, I think it was 64% budget. The, it's always, our budgets are always based on prior years, you know, historical information. So um, this just goes to show you that um, it has increased in the Medi-Cal arena. It's actually also, um, let's see, it is, decreased or actually is decreased in the other government area which is like where hpac is so um, more people are getting covered in the medical as opposed to being in hpac and you can see the um seven nine point nine percent of the um of our payers were other government and that's mostly hpac and um hpac and then the year-to-date uh, budget was 17 percent. so there's been a shift in the current year Next slide, please. So these are the volumes, what we had. Um, you can see in um, May, we are over budget for the month of um, 11% or 2,935 visits. 
And these are the left side are all the clinics that we have in the FQHC. And then in year to date, the the budget is off by five is is negative by five percent. And this is because when we did the budget uh, last year, we did we accounted for a lot of the COVID visits, which overstated our budget for 2023 because the COVID vaccines was really high in 20 in 22. And then that was used to project the volumes in 23, and we did not knock that down. So it's been a struggle to keep up with the volumes, but you can see at 11% increase in May, we are slowly picking up the volumes in, in all of the clinics. If you look in the middle of the page, you can see FQHC urgent care. That's mostly the vaccines that's causing that negative variance. You guys can see where the um, 11,000 year to date, 11,127 yes. lower number of visits than, you know, uh, that we ended up having. Yeah. So, so why is that, Grace? What, what are they attributing that to? Is it poor oh, that was the, the, the or... COVID The COVID vaccines, you know, when we, when in fiscal year 22, that's when the COVID vaccines came out, everybody was oh. getting vaccinated and we were counting that as visits. Um, and then, you know, with 20 in FY23, the vaccination has tapered down. Everybody's pretty much vaccinated. And so you can see there's a trend in the vaccines going down. And that's why we had, we should have adjusted it for vaccine visits in 23 budget. And we neglected to do that. So we have been struggling with that, you know, having to explain that to everybody that our budget was missed by the volumes, the COVID vaccine volumes. Um, I have a question. Um, um, will that difference be corrected in the following budget or? Yes. So okay. we um, we have a budget for the current year. Um, it is about 2% increase in clinic visits than the current FY 2023 at this point. And I can go a little bit more into that. There is some, um, there is some um, plans we call it bridge plans when we when we started the budget, but they're not called grit. So we have this plans on how to get us more clinic visits. Especially, are you saying we're we're running in the negative, like in urgent care, correct? Well, right now, but in the current year, that would not be the case because we're not we're not budgeting. Um, we're budgeting um, stabilizing the the COVID visits, the COVID vaccines. Okay. I, think I, think we wanna, I think we want to be clear, visits and billable visits. Yes. So the yes. COVID vaccine visits are, I mean, minimally, minimally right. billable. I think what we're talking about greatly for like our FQHC rate, those are billable <laughs> visits that are different. So the 11,000... Difference were for vaccines, which are not billable FQHC PPS rate visits. Uh, I, I have a question. Um, it says here uh, in the future, bill, billable visits, the qualified provider will be reported separately. Um, it, <clears throat> what is the reason for that? We had a hard time identifying, um, you know, the billable visits versus non-billable visits. I've been working on this for quite a while now, um, but we're getting close on identifying them now. We're testing our data and we're um, hoping to roll that out for FY 2024. 
July, you know, we're, we have my team working on that, validating some data. So we could at least um, say, these are nurse visits that's not billable. These are the COVID vaccines, the vaccine visits. And then these are the provider visits that are billable and all other kinds of visits. So we're actually in the process of doing that right now. And of course, we'll go back and restate 23 for better, you know, for comparison for last year. In, in doing so, in doing so, um, does that mean that um, other than this document, the actual overall financial report, that there would be a separate report uh, re regarding the billable <laughs> business by the qualified providers? Um, it, um, it's not by the providers, but it's all lumped in together. So you will have a line that says these are the billable visits. These are the vaccines visit. This is the, mm -hmm. you know, the wayfaring anti-coag visits. Um, so the different kinds of visits that we have, we will have that separated. And one last question about the issue. Uh, when, uh, when, do, when do they have to, the providers have to start reporting separately? Uh, when does that occur? Um, so we're in the process of doing that for July. So we're hoping in the next um, the next meeting that we have, we will have that presented to you. Um, we'll have to, you know, test it across the system. Dr. Mack hasn't seen it yet, but, you know, we're finalizing that and then we'll be showing it to everybody. And this is how the reporting is going to look like. Thank you. Yeah, it's a long time coming. So this is your entity financials on the left side, you see month to date, um, and then the year to date May. Um, we have not published um, June year to date year, we're still closing it. Um, you know, there's a lot of audit adjustments and so forth. We're almost there, but we haven't published June. Um, so this is the month to date, as you can see, the collection percentage has gone up. Um, your your net revenue, the, the revenue on the top, um, so those are allocated. And so this is the hard part about, you know, just putting you guys in one area. The net revenue is not, we're trying to move it to each entity because you're you're one of the entity. Um, we're trying to do that at this point and we're still cleaning that up. But for the most part, it's, um, you know, it's based on your current billings. So you can see you're one of the highest um reimbursable this I mean reimbursement in in the hospital in in the entity in AHS so you have a 39.7 percent actual collection uh for the month and year to date and then your budget is you're doing better than budget so better than budget for May and um and very close on budget too but better in the year to date can I just explain maybe in terms of a visit what what that means mm -hmm. so we, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong, Grace, or if you have any corrections of this, but when we see a patient, we charge the insurer a certain amount. We have a list of charges for how much it costs to like see a physician in clinic or to do a particular procedure, like draining a knee or putting in a, um, an IUD or something like that. And then this is the amount of money that we're collecting, the percentage of the amount that we charge that we're actually collecting from somebody to pay for that service. And so it was projected that we would collect about 38% of the overall charges. And we've uh, collected actually slightly better than that at 39.7%. And that's a good ratio relative to other healthcare services in the institution, like hospital services, et cetera. Is that fair, Grace? That's very correct, yes. And also uh, just uh, overall, AHS <laughs> has an 18 
percent collection ratio between 18 to 19 percent collection ratio. So um, you can see at 39.7 percent, you're it's really doing better than any of the other entities or even the overall. So for every dollar that we bill out, we get 18 cents back. And this time we're getting 39 or almost 40 cents back for FQ. So um, the operating expenses, so our operating expenses is $9.8 million. This includes allocation of professional fees because they're in a they're in different entity we allocate them based on what we had gotten from Whipley you know our consultants that told us how to allocate things so we have a 9.8 million dollar operating budget actual and you can see that we increased our FTEs by 20 right um and other and the volumes has gone up and then our expenses budget was 7.8 Seven million. So our contribution margin, which is just revenue minus direct expenses, is $2.8 million. And it's doing better than budget because our revenue was much better. Same thing on the year-to-date side. I have also, a question. Mm -hmm. I thought I noticed it in another table. I was wondering uh, when you when you put when you show in the um, in the data right here, depreciation. Uh, depreciation is representative of what exactly? So depreciation is all the assets that you have, like your equipment, mm -hmm. um, you know, capital over $10,000 or any um, restructuring that was done um, in the clinics. Um, that is um, that is an expense that we capitalize. So when we capitalize it, we give it a number of years. Like for example, an equipment could be $10,000 uh, we pay that cash upfront, and then we know that it's a five-year um, depreciation. So for every year, you will depreciate two thousand dollars until you finish the depreciation, so that your it, the 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 financial statement doesn't hit you all with the ten thousand dollars. Right. So it's an accounting methodology. Okay, I, I was curious about that. <laughs> at some point, of course, the equipment would have to be replaced. Yes. Yes. At the yes. end of life. Yes. At the end of life, um, sometimes things just break and we replace it. We replace that as we go. So you can see our salaries is the biggest um, expenses in, in FQHC. Um, um, we also started just um, a couple of weeks ago. It was in July that we had started a monthly operating review or what we call more for the ambulatory services, which includes FQHC. So we have one for every entity and then we have one for ambulatory. And ambulatory is kind of a mismatch of things. It's mostly it mostly um, all of the clinics are in there, but we also combine with other ambulatory services like radiology, um, uh, radiology, cath lab and things like that. So this is sort of similar to what we do for, um, for post-acute. So we have SNF in Alameda, but the post-acute uh, VP or CAO, which is Richard Espinoza, he handles also the therapies, the acute rehab. So he wants it to put it all under his umbrella. So he does a post-acute more. Um, this is a time where we look at everything, including quality, um, 
HR issues, um, safety, and finance. So it's a two and a half hour meeting once a month on the fourth week of the month. And we, we look at everything that's going on in the area. And this will help us understand what to prioritize, what pain points um, you know, they need help with. And it's a time for the management team to have a voice to the leaders. And um, Mark Fratsky chairs that, um, that meeting along with the CAO. Um, so the rest of the entities had it started doing this in September 2022, and we just put ambulatory on board last couple of weeks ago. And this is because we didn't really have leadership in the area, and it was really hard um, not to have leadership and, and do the mores. So now that we have a permanent leadership, we, um, we are doing this now. Can I just clarify that FQHC is part of ambulatory, but ambulatory also includes things that are not FQHC. And how much of just generally, like how much of ambulatory does the FQHC account for? You know, I never, I, I would say the majority of it is FQHC. Majority, okay. Yeah. Because, but when I'm presenting this FQHC entity, this is just pure FQHC cost yeah. centers. Right. Um, so that's your contribution margin, and we did better than budget. Next uh, slide. Grace, can we go back to that, uh, the contribution margin? I just This was a topic of conversation at the April meeting that for the budget that we'll approve, a compliant budget will have to have, well, we can't budget a $32 million loss for the homeless health center. Uh, we we won't be allowed to, to budget that. It's just not compliant with HRSA regulations. And so I just wanted to let people know, because there was a lot of discussion about this in April, <laughs> that we won't be looking at, oh, we're $7 million better than the $32 million loss, but that's not meaningful for our oversight or operate, <laughs> like the confusing kind of conversation that we had at this at this meeting in April. Um, that That's one of the things that everyone agrees is needed to be clear that, that you all we can't have, show on paper one way and, and be and represent we're not we're not allowed to pass a budget that says that we're projecting right. that we're going to lose money that someone else is supposed to cover for us yeah. right uh, the governing board of the of the health center has to has to be responsible for allocating the revenues to take care of the entire scope of project for the health center okay I, I don't know how we will tweak that, but we'll work on that together yeah. and see how we can get that done. So then the next page, please. So this is the page and we stopped the contribution mark in the last page. So that's, we're just picking this up. And so what happens now is we allocate the ones in the green, we allocate to each entity, the system overhead expenses, like my expense is in the system overhead. So um, we allocate our expenses based on direct cost for the system overhead. We allocate measure A based and as well as GPP and QIP based on direct cost. So with that, the adjusted net income after the allocations of those four items are negative $2.2 million and negative 13.5 for um, year to date. 
So I think the thing I want to point out here is that the GPP and QIP had not been allocated previously on any of the um, financial reports that we've gotten or that the Board of Trustees have gotten. And this is the first month that those have been allocated. Um, you guys have heard about the quality incentive program many times. It's um, the, the program for ambulatory where you asked about the quality measures last time, Serena, where they come from. And there's a number of them there. So there's about 50 something quality measures. Ambulatory is responsible for about 40 some of those measures. They have dollar amounts attached to them in terms of us getting paid. That's the incentive is to get paid to achieve those measures. Um, but the FQHC is allocated on an expense basis for QIP, which means we're about 10% of the overall budget. So we get about 10% of the QIP dollars. Um, so it's really different from the basis of who's responsible for delivering the results that it's allocated on. And that I think is one of the things that drove the length of time it took to make, for our executives to make a decision about how they wanted to report this. But this is how they've chosen to allocate this money is according to expenses. And it's a really big change to, for us to be able to see that and understand it and understand how it plays into the thinking about the finances and who's losing money and who's making money across the system. A different decision about allocating this would make, would make our overall losses um, look much different than they do on the, the way the budget is currently presented. Is that 8.1 million in the bottom of the green box? Is that the amount allocated to the FQHC or is that the AHS total? Yes. That no, that's the amount allocated to um, FQ. We'll see the amount um, allocated to the organization and the organization when you see the rest of the entities later in the attachments yes should i go to the next one grace yes please so the next item is um the next this is just a write-up of you know the the volume and revenue highlights um something i've talked about earlier um you know and here you can see the expenses. If you look at the expenses, this is basically just the direct cost without the allocation of the professional services. And it's pretty much the same story as everywhere. And here our, our labor cost is higher than budget. Um, this is due to the increase in volume utilization <laughs> of registry. Um, we are expect, you know, we ex we used registry more than we had expected. And also when we budget, we really budget as if we're going to get that FTE in rather than use registry. Unfortunately, you know, we, we had to use registry due to shortage and we couldn't hire enough people to cover all of our stuff, all of our uh, staffing needs. So, you know, we added additional FTEs such as chows. Um, and then some of the FTEs that were hired um, in the latter part of FY22 didn't get into the budget in 2023. So that's why you see that there's a, a, also an increase in budget. I mean, um, um, uh, uh, overage in budget because we didn't account for some of those people. But Grace, when you're talking about the registry, that's for more on the acute side, right? No, you still, have, you still have registry here in um, FQ. Oh, for like the, our nurses? Yeah. Okay. And your practice and managers? I don't know if you use MAs or social workers as well, but I did see some registry expenses here as well. Thank you. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, so the appendix is just the um the rest of the items. Um, can you go scroll over to the appendix, please? Um, so this is just every, this is the 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 um presentation we do for the finance committee. So you have everything. It gives you all of the hospital information. And uh, towards the end is the um, entity financial. So you can see how the allocation of the financials are. So this is what we, we just like to include this in, in case you, you know, you want to read and see what's going on in the rest of the hospital as well. Yeah, those are the entity financials. So you can see the May, that's for the month. And then there's the first one is the contribution margin. The second one is with the allocation. And then the next page would be the year to date. So this five back 37. Mm -hmm. I'm 60 for you all on your packet. It's page 47. 47. 47. Um, and so if you're remembering in our uh, entity financial, the green section that we talked about this now, we'll compare, as we mentioned, the FQHE, FQHC green section versus the other entities. So remember, we talked about year to date. Um, this is just the May. This is just the May financial, not the year to date. So our May. Uh, QIP allocation was 521, right? And you can compare that to, for example, to Highland, which is 2660. So now you can see how it's based on expense. Highland has the highest expenses, therefore they're getting the it's allocation um, according to how much expense they have. And GPP is allocated the same way, right, Grace? Yes, correct. Um, G GPP is the, the global payment program that also has a policy intent of driving more care toward preventive care and driving care away from inpatient and emergency room settings. Um, so the policy intent of GPP and the policy intent of QIP are to fund the services that the FQHC provides and the allocation decisions are to allocate that money on the basis of expenses across the institution. And I think that's the part where, you know, I think there's very good reason for, for that on the part of the rest of the institution, but it's a place where our interests in the homeless health center may be different than the interests of the institution overall and thinking about how do we want to make Secretary Golly's commitment to expanding you know, boldly expanding comprehensive and integrative services real in our own budget, right? Um, I think that's that's a real difference. Yeah. So am I reading this right that all of all of Alameda Health System in the month of May got 5.3 million from the QIP? Yes. And 8.2 from the global payment. And that it also comes from the Alliance? Global payment comes from the state as well. From the state. Yeah. The QIP comes from the state. State. So is there any other questions on the May financials? Um I didn't. I could go over the FY twenty twenty four budget on a on a global overall basis, and then kind of point out where 
FQHC is in the budget. If you'd like to do that, I have a slide deck that I can share. Go ahead. Okay. Grace, can you just send that to us after so we can post it? Yes. Online? Yes. Thank and you. I'm sorry about that. I completely missed it until I, until I saw it in the agenda. Um, can you guys all see my screens? Yes, we can see your screen. Thank yeah, you, Grace. Right. It's so small. Great. Is it possible for you to make it bigger on your end? Because it's yeah. I'm gonna see if I can do this slideshow. Oh. Uh, I really um. And we'll send it afterwards too. You'll be able to. Okay. So I'm gonna have to kind of go over it quickly because I know I don't have a whole yeah, lot. So this is actually the um, the presentation we did for the finance committee back in June 7th. It was passed on June 12th. I mean, I'm sorry, 14 days later, June 14. So this is where our financials looking at. And as you can see, and I'm going to put you right into this, our net income for the year is $4.9 million. That's, we went to the board with a $4.9 million loss. Does anybody else want to stand up to get closer to the screen? It's totally okay. oh, is it really, really small? It's, I don't know how to make small. it bigger. Well, we're just also in a big room. So I think it's as, it's as big as it can be on this screen. Yeah, they just say, send it to us later. Yes. Okay, well then I will get it a little forward. So just, I'll get so, it. I'm sorry about that. As you can see, um, as you can see, um, we have a $4.9 million loss, and this is all of AHS. This is um, this projected one was the projection as of that time because we didn't really, we annualized, uh, I believe annualized April because when we're doing the budget, it's during April. So it's not the, the most current one. Um, but we are supposed to be pretty close to budget at the end of June. <laughs> so this is a $4.9 million loss for the year. To us, it's a little bit, it's more like a break even is, is what that is. Um, any questions on the financials? So this is the overall financials. We're coming in with a budgeted loss of $4.9 million. Now we do have non-cash items and we have an EBITDA of positive $32 million. This EBITDA is used for cash, I mean for capital, to fund the um, capital items that we need. Grace, can you just explain what EBITDA is? Uh, income before interest, depreciation, and amortization. Sorry about that. I keep forgetting to do that every time I present. So it takes out the non-cash items. <laughs> takes out the non-cash items and, and gives you your pretty much your cash flow. Now, there are some things that change in the current year, so we're going to be changing the way we report it. But this is it's essentially your cash flow. This is how much you can use for other things, you know, like capital uh, to fund other items in the hospital. We use it for our capital. Equipment and things like that, right? Uh, yeah. Um, so I'm gonna, I might just go pretty quickly on this. So this is the EBITDA. So what we started off is a $49 million um, uh, bottom line net income, right? And then we have um, a $28 a $28 million decrease in supplemental revenue. This is mostly due to QIP. So QIP, we got um, 
this is a, um, a calculation that was done by our reimbursement and um, uh, um, John Minot, our um, the team that does this as estimates for uh, GPP. So GPP, um, the F map is phasing out. So we used to get an additional percentage for the F map for the COVID. So they, they added like 6.2%. So that's going out. And that is about a 9.6 decrease in GPP. And then in QIP, we got extra money because we didn't have to do anything, but they had um, this, they had distributed some extra um, funding that they had for QIP. And we got more than what we had expected. And that's not going to happen next year. We have a normal calculation for QIP. It may or it may not happen next year, but we don't budget for anything. We're not sure if it's coming. So Grace, what happened with that extra money? Well, it was um, extra funding that somehow the state had and they okay. reallocated it to all of the hospitals. So it was kind of a bonus, got us to a hundred percent. I'm not exactly sure. I'm not too familiar with it, but somehow it gave it gave us i think over 100% of what we were due okay like so did, did you did you um have a list where you broke it down to say what department got what or how much or no um it's it's an overall you know like how we allocate qip to all the entities it's not by department okay. so we just allocate that qip over so you already you already got that allocation when you saw your financials earlier Okay. So the way it's being reported, we got 10% of the overage, just like we got 10% of the rest of the dollars because we're 10% of the system overall. Okay. It wasn't thought of it, you know, an alternative way of thinking about that could have been, you know, we want to either reward the folks who did the thing that earned the revenue. Right. And so we're actually <laughs> going to make sure that that money goes to that service. A different alternative could have been the policy intent of this was to make this kind of change in the system, make it more preventive oriented. And so then you could allocate more money toward people who are doing more prevention. But we've really chosen to use most supplemental funding in this way that mm -hmm. says we're just going to cover our expenses across the institution because they're so hard to cover. I, I'm actually adding the because I don't know why the because no one's actually said this to me, but I imagine it's because we have very chaotic cash flow sometimes and we have lots of things that we have to cover across the institution and so the simplest way to make sure that things get covered that we're doing is to would might be to allocate expenses again i'm putting words in other people's mouth but <laughs> i think your question is a is is an important one for a governing board to ask like we got this extra money right. because we performed what was the extra money used for? And as Grace said, the extra money was allocated on the basis of expenses. That's what the same way the baseline money for QIP was allocated. I mean, we did have an extensive study by our consultants to, you know, come up with those allocation methods. So that's how we are just allocating it. So maybe we could get a presentation, I think, on that, that might be, be a helpful thing to, yeah. for us to learn about is, you know. How, how do they, yeah, how do they determine, I don't know, it, it, it seems like the, the department or entity that is doing the best work to get these extra dollars should be rewarded somehow for that. Yeah. 
I don't think you we're going to solve that at this time. Yeah. I'm just throwing that out there. Yes. I, I hear you. Because then it, it, it's like anything else. If you're going to get an incentive, you're going to try to work harder to achieve whatever that goal is. If it's lowering blood pressure in the clinic or if it's, you know, getting diabetes under control, whatever it is, you know, then your providers and your NPs and everybody are going to work, I would imagine, a little bit harder because that's an incentive, right? Yeah, but, you know, technically QIP is really not, is only given to acute hospitals. And that's why I think there's kind of like um, differences on how the allocation was determined. Mm -hmm. Because typically you, you, a Q, QIP is only given to acute hospitals. But we had allocated it now to everybody. Right, because yeah. I can remember um, more than five years ago um, when the state wanted to see blood pressure as the, you know, an example, as the number one thing that we wanted to see patients' blood pressure lowered. And that was like the focus of the whole K7 clinic, K6 clinic. I mean, everywhere you looked, every time you talked to someone, every time somebody called you, you know, it had something to do with blood pressure. So obviously they were working on that because they knew that that was going to be an incentive, correct? Yes, yes. And because, that, and that yeah. somehow that should show in the department or I, I don't know. I don't uh, yeah, know. Uh, I wouldn't okay. say it's not allocated to acute hospitals. It's allocated to systems, to public systems. Public most, systems, Most of yeah. which have an acute hospital in their system, but who also all have ambulatory services in their system, some of which are FQHCs. So I, right, I don't think it's allocated to acute hospitals. I don't yeah. think that's a, that's a really fair representation of where QIP dollars go. It's allocated to public systems. That's what, that's what's right. really and, the and differentiating the goal, factor. And the goal is to achieve these, these standards that the state wants. Which are primarily quality measures that are quality measures, right? Ambulatory services, yes. Right, right, yeah. right, right. I, I think that's really fair to say. Yes. Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't know enough about it, to, but that's what I have understood. Okay. And and it's necessary to get those metrics in. To act, you know, the work that the FQ does is necessary to get those funding in. I agree with that. Because without those metrics, we can't get the funding. Yeah, because like I said, funding. five years ago, when the blood pressure was the big thing, I, I remember because I was I was doing volunteer work in the clinic and they wanted blood pressure um, flyers and information posted everywhere on the bulletin board. That was one of my jobs that I did. And it was for the purpose of 140 over 90, 140 over 90. That was, you know, the numbers. So I don't know. So that's yeah that's the, that's the decrease in the supplemental revenue and then we have an increase slight increase in the volume um you know we are upping our or utilization and um, mostly um let's see um we have um we have some initiatives to increase the volumes specifically in the clinics and i um and that is i was going to talk about that so we in this budget we are increasing the clinic visits, like I said, by 2.2% over current year. Um, and then within that, there's also what we call bridge plan, um, and now renamed GRIT, um, growth. I'm sorry. I wrote it down right now. 
Um, so it is our basically our bridge plan to close the gap between what we have in our financials and initiatives. We used to call it performance initiatives last year. It's now called mm -hmm. the bridge plan, which then got renamed to GRIT. But um, And GRIT's going to stay. But when we presented it, it was called the bridge plan. And these are action items that um, ideas that we had and uh, initiatives that we had. And we put dollar amounts in it, would include it in the budget. And I can go over that later in the slide on what we're doing for the clinic. Um, and then we have some um, investment in providers. You know, we're adding providers. Um, we have increases in rates. We recruited more physicians to do the work. Um, and that's, um, you know, so that's an investment. And then we have some revenue cycle improvements. We have some settlements that are coming through. It's also part of the bridge plan as well. Um, we had increases in uh, our behavioral health contract. Uh, there's a commercial increase, um, you know, because we increase our charge master it, um, for the commercial payers, which is very little, approximately about 8%. Um, we increased the revenue for that. Um, and I think that was it on that item. And then of course we have a uh, patient um, staff, um, you know, investments. We, you know, we, we increase um, staffing, make sure that we have appropriate staff for everybody. Um, and I'm not sure what else was in that bucket. So let's try to find that bucket. Grace, can I ask you, um, I think the first green mark, over, um, you said that uh, you're budgeting for an increase in patients? Yes. Increase okay, in for, for this new year? For, the new for year? this new year, comparable to 2023. We can see the trends in the clinics are going up. So we are budgeting a 2.2% increase. We also... Okay, so, and so you're allowing for, for extra staff? I mean... Yes. You're, As uh, we budget more um, visits, we give you more staff. Yeah, because I mean, there's people on waiting lists that have been on waiting lists for six months. Understood. To, you know, you we know, just don't have enough providers for everyone, right? Yeah. And we're looking that, looking into that as well. <laughs> we're investing a lot in providers, um, APPs as well as physicians. I would hope so, because what they're doing now, they're so busy now, I can't see them taking on anymore. We'd have to have more providers. Otherwise, yeah. your quality of service is going to go down. And then we have a whole other issue to deal with, you know? And then I, I have a question. Um, it's not related to this chart, but uh, with the upcoming new budget, um, <clears throat> what can you say about uh, contributions by the state for the new budget? Will it go up? Is it the same or is it less? Or well, do we know that's, yet? that's mostly this item right here, and it went down. So what we received in 23 is not going to be received in 20, is not expected to be received in 24. So but this, yet we're going to be seeing more patients? Because yeah. of the green items. We will get some revenue out of that as well. Our billings will be increasing. But in terms of um, the funding, you know, because these fundings like um, GPP and QIP is allocated amongst, you know, hospitals, right? So there's a cap to it and then it's allocated to the hospitals. So even if we increase our funding, yes, we may increase our, um, our, our share of the pot if we significantly increase, but 
2% is probably not going to make that much of a difference. Okay. Can you explain why these bars are floating? So we started off with the, the, uh, the EBITDA, you know, and then we okay. were trying to get you from, this is where we're at in 23, and this is how we're going to get into our 2024 EBITDA. So I misspoke earlier. It's not net income. It's, it's the EBITDA, the cash flow. Uh -huh. So this is all the things that affects that to get to this. And, and so it's like what we call a roll forward. So this gets you from 2023. What changed in 2023 to get us to the 2024 budget? Does that uh, make sense? So the red, the red is mm -hmm. all negative. So yeah, those yeah. are all subtractions and you add the green. I see. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I'm sorry, I should have yeah. played that there. So yeah. every time I present, <laughs> positive, positive and green are positives, and negative is red, and negative, you know, the negative sign is 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 bad. That's how it's easier to um, present it, and people know when they see red. Oh, that means bad. Yeah. Um. So this is um this is the um quality. So we're investing in quality. We're hoping a lot of these things is really based on the length of stay in the acute hospitals. That's what this green is. So we have an initiative this year to, and we've been working on it um, continuously and we're getting some, you know, good, you know, in, uh, improvements, not to the level we want it to be, but we're putting a lot of effort into the initiative to lower our length of stay. Um, and what else was in there? I think that was pretty much it. That's what, that's what in there we are. This is also we're investing more um, um, in expenses in, in our supplies and stuff, making sure that anything that's under 10,000, that's an equipment that we're, you know, we're refreshing those um, on a regular basis. So we don't have to wait till it breaks. So we have a what we call biomed refresh. We have it for capital and non-capital item as well. And that's netted out of this because we want to provide the right tools and resources mm -hmm. for our providers. And uh, this is the CPI, you know, inflation factor, uh, inflation factor for the, you know, labor, um, you know, the increases is an overall increase of 3%. It, dif it is different based on the, um, the different unions. So um, an overall increase there, drugs has significantly increased, supplies has significantly increased. So everything, you know, nowadays, as you can see, when you go to the grocery store, you know, you're paying for a lot more than you used to pay. So that's just inflation. So we have to budget that because that is real. Um, and then sustainability, we have so, some sustainability projects um, in here, like, you know, OT reduction, registry reduction. We have some supply initiatives, um, workers comp uh, reduction. And a lot of this thing is like, you know, moving our registry which was really high to our to our staff so that we can mm -hmm. have better quality at, at less cost now, the registry sense. has gone down now in cost but in the past it was really high and so mm -hmm. that gets us to 2024 and then i wanted to show you a couple of more items on here let's see if i can find it real quick this is a very long um uh, And you can access this long report. We're going to be sending it to you in the email, um, but it's also available um, online. At it's on board. It's on board. Are you sending the full report to us? Well, <laughs> it's on board. Okay. 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 
health centers work with too. That would be great. So this is the capital we had gotten approved. What we do in January is we solicit and you know solicit for capital requests. Look around your department, see what's mm -hmm. breaking, and request for it. So before it breaks, we can replace it. We don't want to just be. We want to plan. We don't want to just keep doing it. You know, you keep replacing it as it breaks. Of course, if it breaks, we will replace it. It, we have an emergency contingency for that. That's the $4 million here of contingency fund. We save that. So in case there's um, there's something that's broken, you can get that right away that we didn't plan for. For most of the part, we would like you to plan and look around and see what do you need in your department? Um, you new ultrasound machine or um, something like that. Um, so capital is $10,000 and over per item to make it a capital item. Otherwise, it's regular mm -hmm. operation expense that you would expense in your supplies. Um, and so this is the total capital amount. We have what's called carry forward. That's all the projects and equipment that we we had prior years and it's just not finished. Or, you know, somebody ordered um, capital in April, but they haven't, you know, they haven't received it. So we carry that forward because it's an mm -hmm. approved capital. Um, and that's what we call for carry forward. So these are items that have been previously approved that we still need to continue and, and pay for um, as the years go. And so we, you know, some, some of the projects, you know, spends, you know, all the way to 2026. Um, then we have the new capital request. These are all the new capital that everybody submitted and said they need this. So every department in the hospital was asked to submit that and they were able to do that. So we, you remember the EBITDA, we have $32 million in EBITDA. Our cash flow is about $30 million. So we have enough cash to pay for the items. So even though we have it in here, a lot of them are not going to finish in all in one year. Um, what happens at Alameda is people um, forget to order or didn't need it anymore. So we earmark it and then the next year they, they, purchase it or they didn't need it until the following year because of, you know, some, some timing that happened. A lot of it is facilities, you know, when we do uh, facilities work, you know, construction gets delayed and all that, or sometimes it's just multi-years. Um, so. And then um, this is just a different cut to it. And see, and this is what I wanted. Oh, sorry. So, in terms of this is any carryover capital that's over a million dollars. And this is um, the biggest one. One of the biggest one here in here is a $4.9 million expansion of the Eastmont Wellness Center. And I'm sure you guys are aware of that or have heard it before. So that's related to FQHC. And yeah, that's part of our uh, approved strategic plan as well. So mm -hmm. Serena, you were asking about that earlier. Our strategic plan requires us to approve a three-year capital plan. And so the budget will allow us to look back at that the capital budget that we get as part of our budget for next year will allow us to look back at the strategic plan and kind of see what that investment's for. And how and it's then, that includes the dental clinic too, right? Yeah, correct. Yes, yeah. it does include the dental clinic. And so this is another thing that we wanted, you know, the admin suite has moved out. They want to turn that into a clinical space, mostly into the dental expansion. So a $2 million amount has been earmarked, earmarked to make it dental sweet. Um, and I think, yeah. And so that so would be, just to be clear on that, that would be a new FQHC site. 
uh, which would require approval by this body, as well as by the county, as well as by HRSA. And HRSA's approval, you know, as will yours, I'm sure, will be contingent on the case that we make that that's going to deliver improved services to people experiencing homelessness. So uh, this is a dental. The, yes. the new dental, which which will which be here take where out from the here old where we're sitting, basically, and bring it and here. move it move it here yeah. to ACP three. Yeah. yeah, but it, it does. Oh, yeah, you guys does, are there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It does require this body's approval, so it 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 cannot happen without your approval. At least it cannot be an FQHC without your approval. And, um, when, and it is. I mean, when when will this be up for a vote, or by us, or anyone else? I don't know where it is in the planning process. Um, so we'll have to we'll have to come back to you with an answer to that. Yeah, I believe it's in the very beginning stages yeah. of the planning process. They haven't come through yet, yes. ready to spend yet. So they probably need to get like, um, you know, architecture fees and drawings and see what can be done with it first um, before they come to the capital committee. So and I just wanted to point out the bridge plan I was talking about. So this is uh, something that we had budget for. Um, and this is how we're going to increase some of those visits. We're going to increase um, the newly recruited physician. Um, we want them to be at the 40th percentage of the RVU. For the new physicians only. I mean, it's very conservative. Relative value units. Okay. Oh, sorry about that. Um, so this should improve some access. And then we also, um, there is some um, initiatives going on uh, to improve access in the existing clinics. And one of it is increasing um, physician capacity uh, by two and a half FTEs. That would net us a little bit more. And that's by standardizing the amount of hours the physicians work because there's um, different hours between AHMG and UAPD and all that. So it's standardizing that. Okay, so how, so how many visits did you project? Oh, uh, let me get that uh, here. And, and that's resulting in two FTEs? Wait, sorry, let me, um, yeah, two and a half FTEs. Oh, I'm sorry, in the bridge plan itself? I thought you wanted the- um, Yeah, no, I'm just trying to figure out if that's yeah, all the budget. So two and a half FTEs, um, we projected 4,470 visits for RVU charges. I'm sorry, can't remember how we- Yeah, it was, yeah. Before. But we projected, um, I think, 4,000 um, visits for the two and a half FTEs were going to increase. Okay. It's a very yeah, good I, projection. I, um, excuse me. I just had under the bridge plan. Uh, uh -huh. I, I was curious about um, the, the the newly recruited uh, doctors. I, I I think I saw there that it excludes ER and, and what, else, what else was that? Hospitalist. So okay. it excludes the acute units. Okay. Um, so do, are these guys, are the people that are being recruited currently, are they specialists in any way in any other department or they're general practitioners? We, uh, it's different. It varies. So there, are, it, we have a list of the newly recruited ones. I don't think it's in here. 
but we have a list um, of the newly recruited ones and how we calculated that. Um, I can see if I can find it. I'm not. Be, I might not be able to send it today, but I can put that as um, next time. Thank you. Oh, and one other question. Um, in terms of recruitment of other doctors, um, is there any projection as to how many doctors you need for the, for the program in general? Or for the hospital at large? Um, right now? For the clinics? For the clinics? For the clinic, for the clinic? I don't know offhand how many um, we need right now. All I know is we have enough for the volumes that we're, we're projecting. Okay. I'm just curious. Thank you. A great question, though. Um, so I just wanted to show you, like, this is the clinic visits. So we are projecting 8,500 visits more than last year. 8,000 more visits. More visits than last year. That's a two. And only two visit. doctors. No, you have the 14, you, you have a... No, no, I mean, those are additional visits, correct? Yes, they're additional visits. Okay, so you're saying that the two or two and a half FTEs are oh, supposed to make up for that? That's or... only part of it. That was 4,400 visits. What Am we I did... Misunderstanding something? So what we did is we look at the schedule at the... Uh, at the clinics, uh -huh. we looked at the providers, we assumed how many visits per day, and we right. did the back end calculation to come up with the visits. Okay. But we also just looked at our trend and, and to see how close we are. So we did a lot of work. This is the first time we actually did that for the, um, for the clinic visits this year, where everybody went back to their clinics and they looked at how many providers they had, they look at the template for each provider, assume no, uh, a percentage of no show to actually compare that right. to what we budgeted and it was very close. Okay. So we did that work. Hey, um, I wanted to ask you one question. Um, at the very bottom under clinic, that's just the total adjustment of discharges. Is that, um, when you say discharge, is that, does that mean that these, those number of patients have actually been admitted to the hospital? or they just been discharged from their appointment? Um, so this is actually a factor of an inpatient. What happens is this is your actual patient days and discharges for each area here. So this is the acute, which includes psych and acute rehab. And this is the SNF um, for the whole hospital. So um, we account for the revenue that the, that the outpatient generates, which includes the clinics. And that's what becomes an adjust. It's a, it's an adjusted patient days to account for the outpatient business. Um, not sure how else to explain that. It's just a metric that we track so that we don't do everything by inpatient because we do have outpatient business. So it's a formula that we include outpatient revenue and adjust the patient days to account for the outpatient revenue. I apologize. I did ask that question uh, wrongly because I was I was referring actually to, to, to the financial numbers, and I was just at wondering uh, how many patients does that represent uh, over time? You mean like how many actual patients? Yes. 
Uh, I don't have that uh, right now. There's okay. something that we can certainly pull because we just count the MRNs. No the problem. I, I'm just curious. I'm just curious. We have um, Lucy, who has her hand raised, is one of our guests and also our partner at Alameda County. So I just wanted to acknowledge oh, yeah. that if, um, if you wanted to uh, invite Lucy to speak, Loretta. Yes, Lucy. Hi, Loretta. Thanks, Hi, um, Heather. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, yeah. yes. Oh, okay, wonderful. I just apologize. This was several slides back, but I just wanted to understand in your revenue projections um, how you were looking at the bridge clinic. I, I understand the status now as you reported it tonight, but didn't know the timeline on that. And of course, um, you know, as we at Bridge, as we talk about looking towards, as you all are speaking to, um, you know, dental, you know, really right the opportunity in terms of you all being able to generate revenue under the FQHC status. So I just wanted to kind of understand that with the budgeting here. So the way that we do revenue is really based on uh, historical collections. Um, at this point, since we don't have the FQHC visits, we can't do the FQHC visits times the rate. So what we do is we took the actual collection payments of all closed account. We apply that to the current, to the charges, and we come up with a percentage. And that's the percentage that you saw earlier, the 39%, 39.7%. So we applied that percentage to our budgeted gross revenue to come up with a collection percentage. So if the SUD uh, clinic was getting like an average of $50 per visit, that is in there as $50 per visit. We didn't change it to an FQ because we knew it wasn't going to happen. Um, I also wanted to show you one more thing. And the, this is just your visit type. This is what we can you know, look at at this point, this will get better as it goes. So this is our clinic visits in the dark brown, uh, dark blue. And then the light blue are telehealth visits. Mm -hmm. And then the vaccine itself visit is right here. As you can see in 2022, when we were doing the 23 budget, we had 27,000 visits of COVID and that's why the budget was high. We came up with 20,665, uh, projected for the current year, and then we knock that down to 16,000 for the next fiscal year. We will still have COVID vaccines, and um, but it's just a lot smaller piece of it. That's all I had uh, on the overview. I'm sorry I took so long. That's okay. That's okay, Grace. Thank you. Well, yeah, I think that uh, this is you oh. know one of the things that we need to get more information yeah. about in order to be able to be helpful to the board of trustees and um, and to and to fulfill our responsibilities. So I'm glad that you took a long time. Really grateful that you guys have, I mean, this looks so much better than anything we got a few years ago. And I know there's more work to come to just mm -hmm. be able to clarify, you know, what's happening with the money. And so we're, we're actually grateful for you putting this together and spending so much time with us, Grace. Yeah, and the next step is, you know, when we um, when we finish with the budgeted financial entity financial statement, we will present that at the CAB as well. Thank you, Grace. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Oh, Damon. Oh, yeah. Or Loretta. Hi. Sorry, this is I, Lucy. And I, I just wanted to um, also share, uh, as as Heather said when I spoke a few minutes ago, um, I'm the director of Alameda County, the Healthcare for the Homeless program. Um, and I just wanted to kind of, um, 
you know, again, thank you, I, you know, it, for the progress, the presentation tonight. And, you know, I look forward to really digging into things after this meeting. I did just want to make sure that you all know, and I think some of these th things were brought up earlier with some of the concerns um, expressed by some of your board members, just making sure that, right, that, that, that your budget is done compliant with HERS regulation. Of course, that's our, right, our job kind of overseeing you all. And, you know, just, again, want to make sure to express my concern about the fact that we're operating again without a board approved budget and so again support and see the progress and um just want to kind of acknowledge there's still there's still work to be done thank you thank you lucy thanks lucy <laughs> <laughs> still <unpacking>, huh? yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay Oh, wow, let's see. Well, Derek. Hi, Derek. Hi. How are you? Wonderful. We're um, looking forward to hearing your little report. For those of you, do you, do you all of you know Derek? No. Oh, you don't? I, I didn't realize that. Come on. Um, Derek, <laughs> Maybe I see you just Derek was... Uh, <laughs> was who we sent to the national conference of oh, okay. yeah yes, so yes. he's reporting back on on what he observed and learned or whatever it's well, all yours Derek. i got a couple things that um that really shipped me because i come from a background of uh straight abstinence you know straight abstinence so when I get here, most of the teaching is about harm reduction. So I ask each one of us, what, uh, what do you think would be better for us right now for everything that we're facing, everything that we're up against? Because we're up against some pretty heavy stuff here. And you know, I'm a front, I'm a front line. And more people gotta get out and be front line and direct people and push people because of the simple fact that we have the harm reduction big time. And I don't know if I totally approve, but maybe 30% because I come from a background, hey, sustain. Harm reduction, harm reduction has uh, shown its face over here. And that's because of the new uh, drug uh, what was it right now? Trans, 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 trans. I don't know. There's a new, there's trank. another drug that they're mixing with fentanyl yes, now. Yes, yes. And, and fentanyl. Can't keep up with it all. <laughs> and so it, it's, it's taking the lives of pretty much. Oh, trank. Trank. Trank, yes, trank. And it's taking the lives of pretty much of the people 21 and under. And so it is highly addictive. But, but. I have to search my heart and say what is best for us as a whole because we just don't have the housing, just don't have the finances. We just don't. We can push, we can push. So where do we stand at? Where each one of us stand? There's going to be some different places. But my, um, but my thing is that I don't know about this harm reduction because we're giving people more access to 
We're, we're giving people more access to things that are hurting them, that is taking them straight out. So, so but there's the pros and cons of that because the Filipino president, he says, you know, kill them all. We'll start growing weeds up, weeds over. I'm just saying. He says, let them all die. Just kill them all. He's got militant. Wait, can people. I just, is this, was this the topic at the National yeah, Healthcare uh, Homeless Conference? Of, of, of a lot of the, of a lot of the conferences. A lot of the content was on harm reduction. Uh, I'm trying to make sure we're connected to the topic. I, and I would just say, I don't think you're advocating for President Duterte's approach. No, no, you're just, no, you're no, saying. No, I'm, you, just, I'm just making a point here. that, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just making a point that, you know, I was where you were at at one time too. Where's the crazy guy come from? But if we're overran by this, uh, this, this drug, this new trank drug, this highly effective. A lot of us going to lose a lot of kids when we start looking at it like that. I mean, it is San Francisco and then East Oakland and then others. It's taking cities. But, I mean, so 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 what can we each do? Because this is not just a uh, an easy thing that we're facing against you guys. I mean, uh, we can play skated, but how can I help you better? Add more doctors. We're going to hold around the doctor. So we got to figure out collectively, hey, is it abstinence? Because they got a lot of um, people saying that we should start uh, treatment for our So what, uh, were there any organizations or entities that proposed ideas against or supporting um, assistance in in uh, handling track track. I mean track, yeah. No, no, some of these no, some of these uh, these things that we all have to put our own input in. We all have to put what we think would be the best way to handle these things because it's just not the doctors can do it. You know, we gotta get some, we gotta get all kind of people in there on this. You know, because like I said, I started thinking about this guy entertaining uh, the president of the Philippines. Yeah, you know, well, hey, maybe maybe he's got an idea here because oh, in this country. Well, I don't think that any of us here on the board would agree with something like that. Okay. However, <laughs> harm reduction, harm reduction um, comes in a lot of different ways. I'll tell you one thing. I'm very glad that you can go to the emergency room and open up a little thing and get a free thing of Narcan or down at the Bridge Clinic when you're waiting to go see a counselor. You can open up the little, they have a little dispenser and you can get a free thing of, of Narcan. Okay. And I have two in my car that I carry around with me at all times. Because if I see somebody pass out on the street and, and I think that they've possibly overdosed, I'm not going to kill them with Narcan. I'm going to save them, if anything. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm willing to take that chance. That's my, my personal opinion, you know. Mm. And for as a, teach, as a retired teacher, um, I think it's great that they're putting it in junior and senior high schools. Because kids are going to experiment. I don't care how much communication goes on, the peer pressure, the, there's so many factors there.
All it takes is one pill, one pill of Oxycontin traced with all this other junk and it can kill him. Just kill him, you know? And so for schools to have Narcon and for the teachers and the nurses and whoever, learning how to use it, it's very simple. I am 100% for that. That's my opinion, okay? Uh, just like okay. I... Thank you, Loretta. I'm just going to redirect this back because I feel like we're deviating from the topic of this agenda item. I, I understand one thing mentioned um, was harm reduction, but I feel like we're talking about opinions about harm reduction, so I'm not okay. going to appreciate it, but I think that's a different agenda item. No problem. So we'll get back to Derek. Uh, Derek, I was going to ask, other than harm reduction, um, well, when you, when, you went to, when you went to the conference and they talked about harm reduction, was it, was it, uh, was it a workshop? Or more like a class. Well, it was it was people coming out from different parts of the United States, and different parts of the United States experience with different things. And so, like I said, mostly it was harm reduction. I come from an abstinence uh, background. I think that that would be the best way to go. Is to, you know, but like I said. We're behind. This lady is kicking our butt, so we got to do something. Harm reduction is maybe the best way to go. Um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, <laughs> so it's a serious question. While you were there in the conference, did anybody offer suggestions as to what we can do? We, we have yeah. a good idea as to what we would like to do, number one. Right. It. But then secondly, what are we going to do? Well, we got to figure that out. Did you, did you get a chance to go to any? Did and I know last year there were several different um, states that presented different things that, that worked in their state that I came back with and I was like, wow, that would be so cool if we could do that here, you know? Did, did any of the states have any? Yeah, but like I said, like I said, for me, you know, it was fascinating because it caused me to search my heart. It caused me to search my heart and uh, really think about what are we doing? Or, you know, what are we doing? Tammy, did you have a question? Yes, I was trying to understand. So the whole conference was only solely about harm reduction, well, or were there different classes that you went to? Well, we have speakers coming from all over the world. And basically, that's what they spoke. Everything. Okay. And um, the two classes that I went to was about that because I want to figure out an answer. How do we stop this thing? Or, or is it there? I don't know where anybody else is. And I said we all have maybe some different opinions. But, you know, I, I really feel like the doctors is doing the most work on, you know, on an emergency basis. So if we're if we're coming in behind, all kinds of suggestions would be well. So in the conference, did you get a chance? I know you chose those two classes, but I guess whatever what I would like to know, did you scan and see what other things were being offered outside of the classes that you just took? Um, you know, not really. So I feel like what you're saying isn't that surprising to me because well we in the sense that like a big topic of the conference was probably about drugs and substance use because that we know that's a really big issue in health 
issue for unhoused people. And that was part of the presentation that we saw at the last meeting when we had the homeless mortality review because they showed like the main causes of death. A lot of them were, were substance related. So I feel like that's in line with what you're saying. Um, and what I wanted to share is that the homeless mortality review, the next meeting is August 29th, and that is going to be the topic. It's going to be about substance use. So it's going to be about, I think, the efforts that are happening across Alameda County, and it is open to anybody who wants to join. So I can send you that information if you can send that out to people. So Brenda, that'll, Serena will send you the okay, information. Okay. And, and I'll forward to the, the CAP members. Yeah. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Is it soon? Yes. August 29th, 10 to 10 in the morning to 12. Yeah. Where's that at? It's going to be a Zoom meeting. Zoom it's going to be Zoom online. A Zoom meeting. Oh, it's going to be online. Yeah. 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 You can do that. <laughs> I feel like we made a promise to be... We would now go past eight o'clock. Yes. Are we ready? Um, yeah, yeah, almost so. So if our main incentive is to uh, uh, bring in revenue, because everything costs, everything we need, we need finances. Yeah. So, what strategies are we gonna gonna have? I want to ask you guys because my strategy is. Maybe different, you know. What strategies are we going to have to continue this $49 million? We still, I guess, behind. You know, harm reduction um, in the states. Uh, given whatever state it might be, are all different. And everybody has their own interpretation of what it means to reduce harm. And also very different ideas about how you do that and how you go about doing that. And um, I think that's an ongoing learning situation for all of us. Um, we're not there yet. And also, I think it's very, any strategy you come up with, uh, we'll always have, we'll have, you'll have certain issues that come up that don't necessarily fit your strategy every time. But it's something that, it's one of those things that um, I think is ongoing. It's not something that's going to be, it's not like you're going to do something and all of a sudden it, 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 there's no more harm going on. And it's just that we got to keep going and testing and testing and testing until we Till we get it right, until we get to a point where we can have a real impact on reducing harm. But I think it takes a lot of effort. And like you said, it's going to take all of us in here and outside of here to, 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 to make that change. So, but, uh, but I, I wish I would have been able to go to the conference. I wasn't able to go. I think people are asking for our attention, but Loretta is chairing the meeting, so just oh, ask I'm for sorry. Loretta's attention. I just wanted to say <laughs> yeah. something really sure, quickly. Sure. I don't know if in like the future, if there's funding for more people, if you can only take two classes, like if we can have more, so we can get a range of what's going on. 
just you know, oh, there's classes all day. There's there. Well, I don't I don't know if they do it different every year, but when I went last year, you you choose the classes you want to go to. Correct. That's what I'm saying. So since only one person can go, we only get that one view. Is it possible? Maybe we can fundraise and get like two people to go, or just get a list of what happens. I don't happens. know if we did or not. And no answers need to be. I yeah, we can we can explore that when we yeah, present to you. Yeah, but the, the thing I wanted to say was that we did have some staff who went, and so okay. we actually could invite staff who went to the oh, conference right. to also come back and, and report back that's if right. you guys are interested that's in that. Right. Yes. So, so I'd like to know what they are. It's Lafayette and Joshwin Hall. Oh, okay. Where's that? We can we'd be delighted to invite them. Yes. Okay. Okay. We're allowing Derek to do his report as a cab member. Yeah. Uh, can we invite them too uh, to the next meeting? Yeah, I will I will yeah, check if we have uh, room on the okay. agenda. Um, it will be I want to see if they went to a different okay. classroom. We don't have to invite them to determine that. We can determine that before they're invited. <laughs> I will point out. Okay. program report. Um, I just wanted to first highlight that the Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless program submitted the uh, Healthcare Commission approved 2024-2026 HRSA <laughs> Services Area Competition. That's a mouthful, but essentially the money that comes to us from the county, we need to reapply periodically. The county does that application on our behalf. It is the period of 2024 to 2026. It was approved by the commission. It was submitted to HRSA. Yeah. It outlines here what um, the total submission was, which you can see it's for a base grant of $4.5 to continue our efforts. And remember, the county then distributes that among several players, us being one of their subrecipients. And so it has an outline um, of how much is for operation staffing, um, budget and revenue. And then I also just highlighted the Alameda Health System subrecipient portion of that so that you have that visible. And I just wanted to explain to you what it says. So the 6,677,316 is the subrecipient award that is planned for Alameda Health System. The 9.8 million is that planned amount that Alameda Health System um, the expense of running the homeless health center at Alameda Health System. And so then the total amount is those two amounts combined, which is the 10.5 million, That's the projected amount. And we get that amount usually through our UDS reporting and through our work with um, Grace and Elzada to determine the cost of the homeless health center within the FQHC entity. Remember, we get this FQHC entity financial report, but the homeless health center is then a, a portion of that, right? But we're usually looking at the FQHC entity as our proxy for then what the homeless health center costs because it's embedded within our FQHC. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is helpful. You can link to the uh, link here <laughs> in your packet and you'll get the full um, submission by the county. I don't see too many. Yes. That's one yeah. question about the yes. rates. Um, uh, are the rates set for the entire Alameda County Health Center or are they separate for the subrecipients? For the FQH, yeah. the PPS, PPS rates. rates. Those are per site. 
Um, and we're going to have be oh, so we have multiple sites and they all have different rates. Correct. Oh, and when they do this reapplication, do they reopen the rates or no? No, the, the rates are set by the state. The application is going to HRSA, the federal side of it. Mm -hmm. And remember that having that federal award is what makes us eligible to have the FQHC rate through the state. Well, so they you don't. To, if you want to renegotiate your rate, you have to do that with the state. You do that with the state, and there are qualifying events that allow you to renegotiate. You can't just renegotiate when you feel like it. <laughs> we want it, right? <laughs> so there's, and I would need to review my the presentation to tell you all those qualifying events. They're, they're so, generally categorized um, so, just as just to finish the point. They're generally categorized as things that, you know, change how something would operate. Like we added a big new service there, or we added on a wing, or we did something like that. Then you say, okay, we, we the costs for providing the service change, so we need to submit a cost report. Sorry. So, so in other words, um, well, I kind of answered my question, but <laughs> I was wondering what Highland, what has Highland done, you know, in order to receive the highest rate? What changes have they made? Maybe we can think back on maybe we can copy it. Maybe we can do something that similar as, you know, going direct the funds our way. I think that's a topic we, we can take back and bring to a future agenda for sure. Look, looking at the rates at the sites and and talking about how, how and when they were set so that you guys get, get a better understanding of that. I don't think it's part of the program yeah. for today. Yeah. Um, section B is the hours and sites um, in the scope, and that's an attachment. So I'm going to flip real quick to that attachment. And what I'm showing you in this attachment is what the um, sites were in 2019 when we initially approved them. You have then since been approving some additions of sites as they've come up. So, for example, the bridge clinic and the dental clinic. So we are representing the site. So that was the 2019. You can compare 2019 to what's on 2023. And I know that this is small for you to see. So I will yeah. attempt to make it a little bit larger. Um, the main thing I'm gonna draw your attention to is the bridge clinic at the bottom, the dental clinic and the AHS portable dental care. Those are essentially new sites that are on our scope as compared to 2019. Um, and then you'll also notice that there are some time changes that are happening in the hours of operation um, as compared from 2019 to 2023. Primarily, these hours of operation that we had listed were from 8.30 to 5.30, and they've shifted to 8 to 5. Um, and Eastmont is going to be updated as well to show an 8 to 5. And that's because although it says currently on the internet that they are at 8.30, their actual first appointment is at 8.20, so they are open at 8 o'clock, and the, the, some of our um, source documentation wasn't, weren't matching. So we're going to be making some updates and then provide this to you at a future meeting to approve the current sites and hours of operation as a whole. Does anybody have questions about that? This is a this is a place where you have governing authority is the sites and I, hours of operation. I didn't know which organization to the very far left um, it was referring to, but in one column in terms of hours of operation, I saw something that said um, it didn't give a specific time. It just said it varies from day to day. Oh, and, yes. And I was wondering. Um, you know, how, how do clients catch, 
catch anybody there. If this is, 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 is <laughs> you know, I mean, how do you? I don't know. Well, right. Um, yeah. So, so the one that that refers to, and I'll start my screen broadcast again in a moment, and it's in front of you, um, is Highland Campus. So the Highland Campus includes specialties and primary care. So it has a very complex schedule, including that some of the sites, they're all generally, and it has it on here, um, 8.20, and some of them go to 7 p.m. And that's because it includes, on the Highland Wellness, includes the urgent care, which also has evening and weekend hours. So we can drill down into, um, like on the internet, for example, on the internet, it has each of the service lines and what their operating hours are. But because this is a very small piece of paper, I, <laughs> I generalized and gave you their, the earliest time that they're available and the latest time that they're available and included that they're open on Saturdays uh, for uh, twice for monthly women's clinic and urgent care every Saturday. But I hear, I hear, I understand. Yes. Um, I want to just ask a question that I don't expect us to be answering or even like delving into this minute. Um, so, it, but it just, it triggered, I'm thinking about because of the hours of operation, because like you say, that's something we have some say over, right? Because then presumably our role is to say, those aren't convenient hours of operation or those are convenient hours of operation or you know that's what best serves people who are unhoused is this type of operation so just kind of piggybacking on that thought i think what i understand is that we the fqhc is granted fqhc status because it purports to serve unhoused people <laughs> that's why hersa said yes you can be an fqhc but we know that they also those sites do other things too right. But so I, I'm wondering, is there some uh, best practices that are known for medical settings that serve unhoused people? And do we know what those are? And do we try to apply those to these sites? And do we have any kind of a goal or way of knowing that these, this whole FQ, all these FQHC sites that are there for the purpose of serving unhoused people, even though they also do other things, are doing a good job of that thing that they're supposed to do. Um, what I will say is, yeah, I know we're not going to answer that right now, yeah. but I think there's a lot of relevant um, things that have been presented, you know, to this board since its inception in May of 2019 that I can just share with you that can give you a sense of, you know, some of the ways that we've answered that question, including like what sorts of programs we're have one-on-one -on -one conversations and you know talk offline about any questions like that, that that interest you and especially i think for the newer members um i think to you know to kind of catch up on on what we've discussed as a board um but it's not to say we've done enough of that or that, yeah. that what i share will answer all of your questions yeah. but just to say that I, I can share some things that we've already done right like yeah. i don't know what those things are so i don't have anything right. in my mind right but i just i just feel like that feels like a way for the board to perform its role of over, like ensuring that these entities are doing the best they can or following best practices or whatever. And if we were able to identify some of those things that are maybe not as good as they could be or whatever, like those could be goals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And that, that was one of our, our goals in the strategic plan. I mean, because for example, drop-in hours, that's right. something that I know they talk a lot about in the Bridge Clinic. I, and I'm just guessing that that probably is a feature of a health setting that is makes it more friendly for people who are unhoused and can't necessarily have transportation and all that. So that might be a thing where we would ask, do these settings have drop-in hours? Would they? Yeah. Now, it turns out yeah. something that's very hard to report on. So it's it's something we've tried to, tried to get, but I think right now we're just globally able to report it as the bridge clinic, urgent care, those are the places that kind of do. It's harder in their other sites to tease out the availability. But. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Um, the rest of the program report is similar to what you've seen in months past that shows our utilization. I would say it's a report you're familiar with and you have it on paper. So I don't think I need to go over it again today. If you disagree, please let me know. I will just add on at the very end, I did add on, um, you know, I have completed my duties, uh, extracurriculars in dental, ortho, and all the rest. So I'm 100% homeless health center again and at your discretion until future <laughs> notice. Um, and so I'm really excited to be able to focus more attention again. Um, we have had some visits lately from some of our leaders, and so I've included this on here, as well as announcing some of our new um, practice managers that have been hired for the sites, including dental and ortho, that I got to do a temporary duty at, as well as the medical director for Newark, was also announced in the last section of, of the leadership and advocacy, um, and then you get some Folks have been visiting Mobile Health Clinic and paying attention to them as well. So please enjoy your reading. And that concludes my presentation. We don't have any public comment. Don't believe. Any um, public and board member comments? Um, I don't. I wanted to ask a question. Sure. Madam Chair, uh, I I would like to discuss something uh, on the next agenda uh, that you guys can consider. Um, I would like to know where we are with the um, uh, the the uh, dental uh, the dental man. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, our, our dental services. Yeah, are you there? Yeah. I'm just curious where we're, where we're yeah. at. Yeah, it's not quite on the road yet, but almost. I will include it in next month's reports. Okay, thank you. Okay, if there's nothing else, um, the meeting's adjourned at 8.16. Thank you, everyone. Sorry we went over a little bit. Thank you.